Father, there was a time when each one of us stood in darkness and pain. There was no peace in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. And yet for those of us who have trusted Christ, one day we looked and the stone was rolled away and the light of your resurrection poured forth. Lord, your death, your resurrected life, we turn to you. and We beg forgiveness in need of a Savior, not a surgery, but a Lord. We thank you that that day you came to us You gave us life, life everlasting, but life here and life now. We thank you for that. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lord, as we continue forward this morning, we pray that your spirit would move freely among us. Our hearts would be open to your word. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Please have a seat. Uh, So, before I begin the sermon proper, I I have to say that I'm frustrated, I'm very frustrated, that this winter storm does not have a name. How is it that hurricanes have names, and yet we say, what are we going to say? I mean, oh, you have one. Yeah. It has a name? (laughs) Really? I did not know that. Thank you. I prefer my own name, though. I think that was given to us by the ladies. The Disaster Club 2021 or something like like that. I mean, some of us uh, had a little bit more than Harvey. Yeah, some had a little bit less. But what a... (laughs) What a it was it's surrealistic week it has been, yeah? It's wonderful that you're all here today. Uh our, you'll notice our little Ebenezer stack here is growing. There's a little uh, mother uh reading the Bible to her two children and uh, the little sign says honor your father uh, and uh, your mother. You all know what Ebenezers are? Ebenezer Hebrew word for stone of help. It's a reminder when you look at it of the grace of God. So, it was in 399 B.C. that the Greek philosopher Socrates was put on trial. He was condemned and he was executed by drinking hemlock. Hemlock by which is an amazing thing because uh, even today, even today, there's no antidote for hemlock. It's, it's as uh, deadly uh, then as it is uh, now, which is an amazing thing. The charges against Socrates were, were make-believe. They were specious. They were lies. Um, but it didn't matter. And I could go on and on about that. Plato actually has a lot to say about that. But his many friends and Socrates, they all knew this. And so even though he was condemned to to die by drinking hemlock, uh, his friends made a way out for him. 
Come, Socrates, we have a place for you where you may live out the remainder of your life in peace and reflection and rest. But Socrates did not leave. In fact, he chose to stay and to drink the hemlock. I mean, why was safety assured? Would someone choose death over a easy retirement? Why would he do such a thing? For one, he argued, his parents. Not his biological parents, they were long dead, but the law. In symbolic form, he made the law, which makes democracy possible, into his parents. And by doing so, he argued uh, tangibly, something that we can all relate to, as to why he would choose to do that. He portrayed them as living beings, such that if he dishonored the law, it would be the same as dishonoring his parents. He argued that if private citizens were able to nullify laws as they pleased and do whatever it is that they wanted to do, that laws no longer had any significance or any effect, and the state would then, at that point, fall into chaos. So as simply as I could put it, Socrates refused to flee because to break the law would be to dishonor his parents. He knew that if he decided to disobey and escape, he wouldn't simply uh, destroy uh, one law, but law in general. He would destroy the family and he would also destroy the state. So even though he was innocent, he drank the hemlock. Plato tells us that he didn't do so hesitatingly. Uh, He said, rather, he drank it as if it was a draft of wine. He just took it all down. Socrates' fundamental issue, as we will see, is, was for him, is for us, authority. If you have your Bible open, open to Exodus twenty twelve, or just, I think, look at the front of the bulletin. Honor, most of us had this memorized. Our parents made us do it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. So honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. As, as some of you know, I'm deep into a Master of Arts in Biblical Counseling at Dallas Theological Seminary. One of the classes that I'm currently enjoying it, it may end up being uh, my favorite class of the entire uh, course is uh, play therapy. Play therapy. For, it's for children. It's great. It's, it's an amazing thing. And one of the most intriguing things that I've been learning about is how children view authority. Some of them parents may be interested in knowing that. And the studies where this comes from, are they're cross-cultural. I mean, literally, from Japan to Iraq, from India to America, around the world, what we see are differing behavioral manifestations. In other words, a child won't disobey in the same way. In fact, some cultures, disobedience in other cultures looks like obedience. I mean, it's just, you know, that's different. However, 
the notion of authority is actually the same. It appears to be universal. In other, in other words, it's a human thing. It's not a cultural thing. For example, children of all ages, uh, except for perhaps in the two to three year range, so we have to set them aside and, and say a, a prayer for the parents. Uh, all children, even teenagers, are perfectly willing to cooperate with parental authority. However, when we don't understand how children view parental authority, we end up engaged in running battles with our kids. Uh, even if the parent's not aware of it. <laughs> children are very, actually very receptive to parental authority regarding things like physical safety, uh, emotional well-being, and food. Except, of course, for peas. <laughs> so, suppose a parent says, Honey, that's too, too dangerous. Uh, and the child sees that the parent is trying to use their authority, or is using their authority to protect them, to provide them with safety. Uh, they will be compliant, almost always. However, like adults, i.e. you and me, children are relatively intolerant of being told what to do when it comes to their private life. Okay, So little Jimmy wants to wear his blue shirt, but his parent says, uh, no, you have to wear your green shirt. A battle will ensue. Full stop, period even if the parent doesn't know it. Sally wants to take her doll to the store, but the parent says, Honey, you're too big to take the doll to the store. A battle will ensue. Again, even if the parent doesn't know it. I, I mean, you would not like me. I mean, I want to make this, this is a human thing. And once we get this, we go, Oh, okay. This makes a little more sense as to how I might function that way. If, if I were to tell you when to go to bed... And when to get up in the mornings, particularly, say, Saturday or whatever it is your day off was, you would say, by what authority? You're crazy. You cannot tell me what to do. Right? I, I hope you would say that. <laughs> well, you know what? The child feels exactly the same way. By what authority are you telling me what color of shirt or socks I need to wear? This is the way that rolls out. Now, obviously, sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, your kid might want to wear the shirt for the 10th time and it hasn't been laundered. You know, you just, you got to act, right? You got to step in. I mean, a child may want their room to be their domain, but it can't, you know, become a hazmat area, right? A child may want to choose all their friends, but a parent may know some issues of some children they're hanging out with that may be uh, not right for their children, and so they, they do that. So I'm not saying parental authority doesn't have to always agree with the child. It's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is that there are necessary uh, battles of authority. There are also unnecessary battles of authority, and it would really help you to know what the difference is between the two. So we can avoid a lot of unnecessary conflicts by merely asking this question, is this child for me? Or is this child for me? 
is this rule about this child for me or for the child? In other words, whose welfare am I looking for at that moment? Really, who cares if your child wears a green sock and a blue sock? They're going to learn on their own that they're going to probably want to wear the same color socks. And you can avoid that battle. That may be a battle that you choose to engage in. And that's fine. You're the parent. That's okay. But understand, you're going to have a battle. If you think that's going to happen without a battle, you need to understand the way this authority piece works. Is it going to be something that you really want to get into a parental authority conflict about? So, all right, I want to try to tie a couple of things back together because, you, you know, you might be thinking, John, if the fifth commandment is about children obeying their parents, what is a 70-year-old taking his own life as ordered by the state have to do with obedient young children. And I'm going to argue that it has everything to do with it. Everything. As much as we think it does, honoring your father and your mother has far less to do with cultural mores and traditions and things that we uh, follow, values and so forth, as it does with God-given authority. Accordingly, that's why authority is one of the greatest battles we all have. And we, we all have it. We, we all have it. In fact, if you didn't have a wrestling match, if you're a believer and you didn't have a wrestling match with God before you trusted Jesus Christ, you did. You had to have, because what is salvation all about in that regard? You are in part transforming your authority to live your life as you will underneath the authority of God. And that's a big deal, and some people aren't willing to do it. In fact, many are not willing to do it. Now, uh, this struggle with authority begins with each one of us because in the same way, uh, our parents were, because they struggled with authority, they were actually our first impressions and experiences and understanding uh, with authority. So the system's already broken, if you, if you understand uh, that. There's what's in education, at least when I went through, I imagine since it was a law, probably still is a law, the law of primacy. So no matter what it's called these days, the law of primacy states that whatever the first thing you hear or see, or experience, tends to persist even if what you heard, saw, or experienced is later proved to be false. It's an amazing thing. It sticks with us. And so the first experiences we have with how authority is used to shape our lives produced in us a persistent uh, reaction to authority, even the very word. Some people get uh, uh, uncomfortable even with the very uh, word authority. And this can persist throughout life. If your experience was positive, um, you would likely be responsive to other authorities in your life, not simply your parents. On the other hand, 
If you witnessed poorly used authority, you're likely to be instinctively suspicious. And one might even find internally uh, the, the need or desire or want to resist or even, even fight. And that's one of the primary reasons why healthy family life is so important for the good of the nation because respect for authority is first learned in the home. If it breaks down there, then it's going to seep out into the larger society and it's going to put a stress and a strain on the fabric of society that I'll just say in our nation is becoming uh, great enough to tear, I would say. Forty years ago, Pope Paul II Speaking of Psalm 128 said this, As the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world in which we live. I fear that we can all see that trajectory. The fifth commandment, according to several places in the Bible, is the only commandment with promise. It has a promise connected with it. What does that promise uh, mean? That it may be, uh, long, you know, that you're, um, let, me, let me read it so that I don't uh, misquote it. That your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What in the world does that mean? I, I, uh, some have taken that to be a general promise to individuals that if they honor their father and their mother, they will live long. In other words, it's about a long life. An individual's long life based on the fact that they've honored their father and their mother. And while that certainly could be a possibility, uh, I don't believe that. Uh, I don't believe that's what it is. Um, Part of that stems from my military experience, I suppose, because there are thousands of examples of men and women, some of whom I knew personally, who honored their fathers and their mother, their lives were shortened. Arlington's full of people like that. I mean, think about it too. Jesus Christ honored his father and his mother as perfectly as could be done. Period. Full stop. And yet, his life was cut short. I think that this is a specific national promise for Israel and a general promise for all nations. Why do I say that? I think only the the most anti-family leftist could think anything other than that the family was the basic unit of society uh, anywhere in the world. I think, which is, by the way, the precise, I mean, that's precisely why they want to destroy family. They want to replace the basic unit of society with something else. But history tells us that healthy families are, maybe I could say it this way, from healthy families emerge healthy communities, and from healthy communities emerge healthy nations. So it all begins with the family. So it seems clear to me 
that what God is saying is that your days may be long in the land because the respect for the family builds society, a la Socrates, and disrespect for the family destroys or erodes societies. We're witnessing this right in front of our eyes. I mean, I want to be sensitive here, but I believe it needs to be said that we've gone from 10% of children being born out of wedlock to 40% of children today being born out of wedlock in, in, in just my lifetime. I don't know what the next lifetime will bring. In some countries, in some industrialized countries today, it's over 70%. 70%. A nation cannot long stand those kinds of pressures without overflow, overthrowing the family and replacing it with something else. And as respect for the family erodes, so does our respect for authority. I mean, authority is eroded to the point now, seriously, that, uh, you know, most people, the only valued authority that they have is themselves. I mean, they look at their authority in the mirror when they, when they get up. Or, you know, to some people who are desperate for other authority, maybe it's some entertainment figure or some sports figure. They don't know anything. It's not that they don't know anything, but they're granted knowledge that they don't have. They're granted authority that they don't have, and it's because we're desperate to give authority to somebody, but we can't find them. I mean, in recent years, uh, the respect of the authority of some of the greatest institutions in this country has just simply been blown away. I mean, they can still act. They have the authority to act, but their moral authority is gone. And that's a tragedy for our national life, truly. In line with tragedy, it's just here that I want to note that many people's early life experience of home, very different from the early life experience of others. I mean, some enjoyed and or enjoying right now the great blessing of being raised in a stable and a loving Christian home. Others did not, or in fact are not. For the former, authority is good, it's fair, it's honest, it's generally accepted. We all, we're, we're made that. It's part of the fall, you know. Actually, I, you know, the, the, the roots of it may come from free will to begin with. We want to exercise our authority. It's very deep-seated it. Uh, with within us, so it's generally to be accepted. But for the latter, uh, authority is the tool that was used to cause trauma, and harm, and pain. I mean, the fifth commandment would be easy if moms, if all moms and all dads were worthy of honor, but they are not. The, note. The fifth commandment does not tell us to honor them because they are worthy. It just says, do it. God doesn't give us the luxury of choosing who we honor. He commands us to honor, period. 
So what does honor mean? It simply means weighty, heavy. I mean, literally, that's what it means. It's like you would say, the stone was heavy. This is, it's heavy. And so what that means is, is that you regard your, your father and your mother's words and deeds as something that's, that's weighty. Uh, it's not something that you take lightly. It's not something that you casually uh, brush off. Now, obviously, the way we do this changes through the seasons of our uh, own life. From early childhood uh, to caring for aging parents. Not the same. Not the same. For children, honoring your father and your mother, as uh, Paul says in Ephesians, children, obey. This is where you get obedience coming into honoring. I mean, that's a, a natural uh, implication, but he states it uh, clearly. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And Jesus Christ, again, we're told that when he was a child, that he was obedient to his uh, parents. And it gets a little more complicated as children uh, transition and grow fully into adults. Because the manner in which a an adult child honors their father and their mother begins to change. For example, the Bible makes it clear, because some people think this obedience thing carries throughout life. It does not. Uh, look at Jesus Christ. It's very clear in the example when he began to start his ministry, his mom and his brothers said, yeah, no, we're not going to do this. And Jesus said, no, I'm going to do this. That's it. I'm going to, he disobeyed in that sense. Or I should say, he didn't follow the directive of his mom. On one occasion, he said that if you love your father and your mother more than me, you're not worthy of me. What in the world does that mean? How does that fit? Simply put, as an adult, your loyalty is first to your heavenly father, and then if you're married to your spouse, your husband or your wife, and then third to your parents. Now understand this. Wise parents already know this. They, they get this and they want to support you in raising your own family. Now, as we move from adulthood to shifting back to the parents, as they move into old age or infirmity and that begins to take a toll your role changes even into a more complex way as we honor father and mother many years ago dr sanukian my homiletics professor at dallas seminary said uh, words to this effect that the true import of the fifth commandment is not the child obeying the parent as true as that is nor is it the adult taking the parents' words as weighty in their decision-making as true as that is. Rather, it is caring for them in their golden years. It is ensuring their physical, emotional, and spiritual needs are met in the same way they met those needs for you as a child. Again, I mean, what a remarkable example we have in in Jesus Christ, when Christ was dying on the cross, when he was in Latin, as they say, in extremis, when he was at the point 
of death engaged in the most incredible, painful, agonizing work in human history in eternity. He honored his mom. I mean, it's one of the most sensitive moments in the entire gospel story when he was there peering down through blood and sweat and, and tears and he sees Mary and he sees John and he said to Mary, Woman, behold your son. And to John he said, Behold your mother. And a little editorial comment is given there to us in the book of John. And from that moment, John took her into his own home. Now here at the end, uh, towards the end of the message here, I want to go to the heart of our struggle in the area of how to honor a parent who is not honorable. I mean, the sad truth is that some parents have not acted in ways that are worthy of honor. Bible's too full of examples like that. I mean, too many people think that the Bible is a, a sterile field for uh, theology and philosophy and doctrine, and they miss life. They miss the life that's in the Bible. Uh, the lives lives, the, the lessons learned, the profound pathway, especially to a relationship with God that the Bible gives to us. But you know, when, uh, when King Saul's, some of you may not even know this story. I suppose if, you're, if someone has told you this story, you would recall it. Uh, some of you may conflate this with David. But the fact is, King Saul got upset one day and he tried to pin his son Jonathan up against the wall with a javelin. Tried to kill him. Threw a javelin at his own son. Not a... His desire was to kill him. How do you honor a parent like that? Some in the sound of my voice understand this. You know that it's not a mere swipe of a lion's paw, but a ripping, a tearing. That's abuse and worse. Let me add this too. God knows the most painful realities of everyone in here and of everyone in the world. And he reaches into every life with his redeeming grace, his healing love. And so while the Bible recognizes the reality of bad parenting, I specifically want you who are in tune with what I'm saying right now to know that God has never asked you to pretend that bad parenting was somehow good or that neglectful parenting was somehow worthy. They are not. Yes, God brings good. Amen, he does. But he never 
ask you to deny the reality of that which is bad, that which is poor. So the question is for us who recognize those terrible realities, how do you honor the dishonorable parent, the one who used authority to bind, to break, and to harm you? I know this doesn't apply to everyone in here. It's not intended to. But by extension, the unworthy leader who exercises authority poorly does not have wisdom, does not have compassion, does not have love. I believe for us in this day, the answer as ever lies in obedience. Now that's in the way that we have not been shown wisdom, that we have not been shown compassion, that we have not been shown love, we give that back to that parent or to those parents. We give them the wisdom and the compassion and the love and we pray that God will give them what we already clearly see and that is the need for Jesus Christ as Savior. Or, in fact, the need for Christ as Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ does not treat our sins as we deserve. He has compassion. He has mercy and love. And He keeps the door open for repentance and for forgiveness. I mean, for most people that I've encouraged to speak with their parents, you know, try to have this conversation, I always conclude, don't expect them to get it. Don't. Just love them. Just love them. And it's a wonderful thing when we don't have to pretend to differing realities. The men in my childhood, at least as it related to my mother and me, were men wholly without honor. I say that unequivocally, even today. Even understanding much of the trauma in their own lives. You see, in God's kingdom, we don't need to pretend that reality is different from what it is. We need to know that our wisdom and our compassion and our love honors them. And I think that's how you do it. Let me say this last thing. If you have suffered from someone who abused their authority, you may find it deep in your heart to even trust the authority of God. May I say, based on the Word of God, the testimony of the Holy Spirit and my own experience, the greatest healing you can ever know is to come to know the One who has all authority. And one of the members, and this is for those who hear, One of the members of the Trinity, through the promise of the gospel, will give you rest from your many wounds. That may sound strange to some, but for some, thanks to the poor exercise of authority by their earthly father, it takes many years, perhaps a lifetime, to see God as their heavenly father, as loving, as compassionate, as caring, as kind. The only solution here for them 
for us in all of this is to be found in Jesus Christ. To journey in the process of knowing who the one is who had compassion on us so that in our sin we could come to honor him. If he can do that for us, we can do that for others. Giving weight not only to this commandment, but to every area in our lives through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross, his resurrection, our acceptance of that gives us the power to do things that are impossible. Father, we, we understand that there are many whose parents are or were worthy of the honor given to them. And God, I thank you for that. I also understand that there are undoubtedly some who hear me who have struggled with honoring their parents. I pray that today, through your word, through your spirit, that they would be able to find a way. Fifth commandment is not optional for us. And yet you do not bind us. You do not bend and break us. You gently woo us to your will. And I pray, Father, that this would be an awakening for some today. And I pray for all who do not know our Lord Jesus Christ, that this would be a day of salvation, a day of life and light and resurrection. Through Christ our Lord, amen.